Would you open your Bibles to the book of uh, Galatians chapter 5 in verse 16. I have broadcast it for your convenience, but if you have a Bible, I would love it if you, uh, if you turn to it. Verse uh, 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, they're obvious, he's saying. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Make a note of that. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. Or if you live by the Spirit, let's walk in the spirit, I believe is what your King James Bible says. Father, would you give us insight to your word this morning? That it would be a lamp and a light for our paths and, and illuminate our steps. In your name we pray, amen. Off and on this year, I have been uh, training to uh, run a half marathon. Now the trouble when you're a man of uh, my girth, you can uh, injure your knee. And so I've, it's been a little bit of start and stop, but I'm, you know, I'm determined. And, you know, and, but when I first started running, I moved out into the country, and so I just thought, well, I'll run down Arno Road. There's a shoulder there, and you cyclists do it all the time, right? So I'll just run down there, and, and uh, that lasted about two weeks. Um, those of you that run out on the road, you might recognize what the story is that I'm about to tell, and that is there are two kinds of people going down Arno Road at 7 in the morning. There are the farmers who've already been working for a couple hours, <laughs> And you know what they do? They wave. They pull way over into the other lane. And they wave and, hey, you know. And then there are the soccer moms. <laughs> and soccer dads. <laughs> and they're going about 100 miles an hour, generally on the phone, and completely unaware that I'm even there. Just... I'm just like, whoa, I'm like blowing my hat off, you know. <laughs> Not even aware. Like, I'm positive if I would have ever been hit by one of them, that they would have thought, well, that was weird. It was like a bump. <laughs> and as I thought about that over the last year, realizing, oh, they just got that. Um, <laughs> some of my jokes are like grenades. You pull the pin and it just takes a minute, you know, for it to, to go off. And it's easy for me to sit and be all judgy, right, of 
specifically soccer moms, because I was a little bitter and quite cynical about the whole thing, and now I, now I go running over uh, at a neighborhood called The Grove. I just sort of sneak in the back, because uh, there's a gate, and they don't want me in there. But, they, you know, I just sneak in the back, and they just assume I'm one of the neighbors, you know. And, but before that, you know, super kind of judgy about it, and this past week especially, and frankly, this is a message that I don't want to preach, because I'm kind of talking to me. And that kind of sucks because I don't want to, I, first of all, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Like I don't want to be, well, Darren, it's your convenient. He's saying all that. So in, in a way I could give myself a pass, but as I thought and prayed, I was like, okay, but every time, like you guys probably all watched football this weekend and, and you look at the, the people who are playing and the coaches and there's generally a distinct difference between the two, right? The coaches are, you know, maybe look a, more like I do or whatever. And they're, but what they're saying is that not that they can play the game better. They just know how to play the game better. And so they're giving advice and they're coaching and here do these tips and this will help you to do better. And so for me, sometimes in the role of the pastor, that's really all I'm saying is I may not be getting this one right like I want to, but I know what the word says and I'm going to share that with you and I'm going to be preaching to myself and you are more than welcome to listen in. Because the word has a lot to say about being too busy. And... While I can judge the soccer moms who are, because they're trying to get down Arno, because they're trying to, and I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to get over to Paytonsville, sneak across so they can miss all that traffic. And, but then I'm the guy at the movie theater. Maybe you don't do this. I do. I'm sure you don't. Walk in on a busy night, and you look at all the cash registers open, and you're trying to look for the teenager that seems to be the most competent, <laughs> moving with purpose and urgency. With the shortest line, and if all the lines are even, and maybe, I'm sure you've never done this, but then if you've got kids, especially older kids, you'll assign them to a line. <laughs> you take that line, I got this one. You take, and then whichever one happens to be moving faster, you know, once you get to the one right before, it's like swarm, swarm, swarm. <laughs> and maybe that's not you. Maybe you're the person sitting in traffic at the stoplight, but not at the light, but right behind the light. And so when the light turns green, the person in front of you, because they didn't want to text and drive, are stopped in driving, right? They're, they're stopping and texting. Stop texting. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm here, and we call it the iPhone prayer. You know, I'm sure they're praying. <laughs> so while they're doing the iPhone prayer, the light turns green. And if there is a nanosecond of time between the light turns green and they move, the question of, of, of you, are you in a hurry? This is a symptom check for you nurses out there. We're just checking symptoms here. How long is the honk for you? Is it the gentle reminder? Beep, beep, honk. Or is it the rage train honk? Maybe that's not you. Maybe... You're the person that when you're doing a 10-hour drive, which my family lives like in the middle of nowhere, so we do some long drives. A 10-hour drive, if you can just shave five minutes off, five miles an hour faster means five minutes every hour that I'm shaving off. Preach it. Which means I'm the one always driving because my wife isn't necessarily the proactive driver that I would like her to be. She's not here this morning, so I can say that. <laughs> I'm shooting the gap. I'm like, okay, there's like, okay, I see that guy. He's kind of going slow, but if I get out fast enough, then I'm not going to get stopped behind that semi. 
because I can then I'm going to shave off that five minutes. And we get to the, oh, this is kind of embarrassing. When we do, when we do gas station stops, this is the kind of stuff that someday if my kid's famous, they're going to get on Oprah and cry about. They, um, <laughs> we hit the gas station and we have a plan. And here's the plan. I'm pumping gas and paying for it, okay? Shannon is in with the kids in the bathroom at that point. By the point that they're out, we have ordered food in the car and gone. This whole thing of stopping at Cracker Barrel and eating for an hour, that kills your time. <laughs> if Cracker Barrel had a drive-thru, maybe. Or maybe you do the, uh, the drive-thru where you see the line, the long line of cars, and you're looking inside trying to do the math. Okay, I think the line is shorter. And then I will memorize what car was the last in line when I pull in, <laughs> just to make sure that I did make it out faster. And if that car goes faster, it's like, you know, I just feel this sense of loss and incompletion. So that's embarrassing. Um, and I guess, I don't know, as I thought through what this says, this, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. One of the expressions, the feeling, the, the taste of love is self-control. And if you were to look at your calendar this past week, at how busy that you are, how control are you, in control of you, your calendar are you, or would you say that my life is out of control because I am literally falling into bed, exhausted every night, just because I'm trying to keep up with what I got to do. And I wonder if what the, if this, the fruit of the Spirit is love and self-control is a component of that. It's easy to hit the one that this is the battle, this is the war against one more. That's what self-control is, the war against one more. I usually like to talk about Cheetos when I talk about that. Just one more. But the fruit of the Spirit is not having one more Cheeto. You know, I mean, it's that. But I wonder, though, in our life, if the real test of the fruit of the Spirit being self-control is us being able to look at our lives, the busyness that we are involved in right now, and is that out of control? And if so, maybe that's a place where we should sow some seeds this morning of God's word. To be able to say to our calendar, to say to our schedule, to say to our children that we're not going to get caught up in that rat race. It's almost like we're living this NASCAR life. Those cars are going hundreds of miles, like just fast and they're going in a circle. Indy 500, they do 500 miles that day, and you know where they stop? Right where they started. And I wonder if there's any note of irony at all that we are living this NASCAR life following a Savior that walked everywhere he went. Jesus could have invaded history at any point in time. He could have split the calendar and have whenever he wanted to, and for some reason he chose a time when there was no transportation if we walk in the Spirit. And if I look at those works of the flesh when I'm in a hurry, when I'm, quote-unquote, running in the Spirit, when I'm running and I'm busy, I wonder how many of these acts of the flesh, these works of the flesh, become just a result of that, that I'm just in such a doggone hurry. Fits of rage. <laughs> Preaching to people that you're driving by. Operate your vehicle. <laughs> Dad, they can't hear you. And I just wonder if the farmers know something that the soccer moms and dads don't know. I just wonder if they understand that I can be in a hurry and I'm still going to, I got the same 24 hours everybody else has. 
And if I'm in a hurry, how much of that 24 hours am I squandering on rushing and stressing and freaking out? Or how much of this life, this, let's say I get 80 years, 40 years, whatever the Lord gives us, that I didn't enjoy any of it because I wasn't so concerned about this moment, but I was concerned about the next moment, what might happen in the next moment. And when you think about even that race, like where's Jesus in that picture? If it's a NASCAR race, is Jesus in my picture? Is he in the driver's seat with me? Is he in the passenger seat with my God as my co-pilot sticker on the back of my NASCAR racing car? No. <laughs> is he in the stands cheering me on? Is he in the pit giving me the orders? Or, or is he just on the side of the track saying, slow down, get out of the car. Let's go for a walk. When you look at Jesus' life and just cross-reference it with, with mine, or, again, this is for me. It may not be for you. How much does it mirror what Jesus did and how Jesus acted and lived and behaved every day? Because Jesus would absolutely take time out to do things that I would have missed because I wouldn't have even noticed it because I was going too fast. I didn't see the guy on the side of the road because I was in a hurry. There's a quote I was reading this book, this J.B. Phillips, a theologian, and it really struck me. It's a book called Your God is Too Small. And he said, if there's one thing which should be quite plain to those who accept the revelation of God in nature and in the Bible, it is that he is never in a hurry. Long preparation, careful planning, and slow growth would seem to be leading characteristics of the spiritual life. He goes on to say, it's It's refreshing. To study the poise and quietness of Christ, his task and his responsibility might well have driven a man out of his mind. It probably would have me. Like, Jesus, we've got places to go. Step it up. But he was never in a hurry, never impressed by numbers, never a slave of the clock. And he was acting, he said, as he observed God to act, never in a hurry. And as I prayed even about what I was going to say this morning, and I mean, I was up late last night because I tell you, I don't want to preach this sermon because I kind of like my fast life. But as I prayed about it and I thought about it, I was even thinking how I could, ironically, rush through this. If I just say this, I can just rush and get this all done. But I'm realizing, no, this is even part of that. I'm gonna, we're going to take our time on this. And I'm going to invite you into the journey that I think the Lord is inviting me into, which is a journey of following Jesus in a way that isn't necessarily American, but is Jesus. The culture, whatever culture, Jesus must fit. The gospel has to fit in every culture, or it's not true in any culture. And you know, one of the things that Jesus did, he stopped to love. He, he stopped because he's walking. And when he was walking one day, in Mark 5, it's recorded that there was a uh, high-level official whose daughter was sick. Now, put that in perspective. My daughter is sick. Okay, let's say it's Lauren, my youngest daughter. And I know that there's a doctor, that there's a Jesus that could heal her. I'm frantic at that point. Like, I, I, I get to Jesus, and I push through the crowd, and, Master, can you come? My daughter is sick. Can you come? And it says that Jesus went with him in Mark 5. He goes with this man to go and pray for his daughter. And, and on the way there, a great crowd forms, as often happens with Jesus. And you know the thing about great crowds? They slow things down. And as Jesus is walking, there's a frantic father that's probably, you know, come on, we gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, she's sick. 
And it's recorded that a woman who had an issue of blood had touched, reached out and just touched the hem of his garment, the, the bottom of his coat, and was healed. And Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? He stopped and said, who touched me? And the father is probably going, ain't nobody got time for that. Sweet brown style. We got to go. But he stopped. And what it says is even after you say, we got to go, my daughter, Jesus is in verse 32, he just kept looking until he found her and he loved on her. And you know why that's important to me? Because sometimes in our lives, my need doesn't feel as bad as someone else's need. And what this shows me is the heart of our father displayed in Jesus is that your need is just as important and he will stop the world for you. That he noticed and he stopped and that gives me so much. This girl, and as you know, God's got it under control. This girl's gonna be fine, but the father didn't know that. And for us, I feel like that when I'm in a hurry, I actually could miss some things. Some of Jesus' greatest miracles happened while being interrupted on his way to do something else. And I miss those interruptions because I just got too busy because my fruit of the spirit, I haven't sowed enough seeds in that part of self-control, recognizing that I have let that get out of control instead of stopping and saying, no, maybe Jesus has something here for this. Maybe Jesus wants me to encounter somebody here. Because not only did he stop the love, but he took his sweet time. You know, the transportation that was available to him at the time would have been donkeys or horses. And when he got a chance, it's recorded that he rode a donkey. It says he rode, rode the colt of a donkey, a young one. So he didn't even pick the fast one. He picked the slowest one in the barn, probably the craziest. To slow things down. And when Lazarus was sick in John 11, Mary and Martha sent for Jesus. They said, your, your dear friend, Lazarus was his bro. They had a little bromance. It was like Jesus and Lazarus were buddies. So much so that when he died, it's recorded that Jesus wept. I wonder, though, if he wept not because Lazarus had died, but because he knew he was about to raise him from the dead, and he knew everything Lazarus was going to be leaving behind to come back to this thing we call earth. I don't know. It might be. But what I know is that Jesus didn't get in a hurry. Come quickly. He's sick. He's going to die. And it says Jesus took a couple more days. An amazing thing. I go back and read. If you want a, a, a good place to study scripture this week, study the places where Jesus was interrupted on his way to do something else and see how many great things happened. And then ask yourself, I wonder how many great things I could miss this week if I don't slow down enough to see what is right in front of me in my children. Is there a Jesus moment that I missed because I was trying to get to school on time and faster and I didn't plan ahead? Slow down. Jesus slowed down. He stopped. He showed love. And he called others to slow down too because it was Mary and Martha who were sitting uh, in, in a house. Well, I say sitting. Mary was sitting. Martha was busy. Martha I resonate with. Because Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and receiving what Jesus had, the, the love and the, the teaching and the anointing. And Martha's in the kitchen because she got stuff to do. And it says that you know, I love this because it actually says, you know, Mary said, get on, or Martha said, get on her. We got stuff to do. Jesus, let her go. You know, she got work to do. And Jesus didn't. And if anything, he scolds Martha. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, why Martha? Who's going to clean the house? <laughs> who's going who's gonna to cook? Who's going to prepare? Who's going to, and Jesus is like, slow down, relax. 
I wonder if the abundant life that Jesus promised us, that maybe the reason we're not experiencing it is because the fruit of the Spirit, the self-control button, is broken. Because I'm trying to keep up with this society that Jesus had, was not in, but in our society, he promises us these things and this abundant life, and I could either choose to follow the society or I could choose to follow Jesus. And if I'm going... 300 miles an hour in a circle and Jesus is walking. Maybe this is a week I could calibrate my life. And I would like to invite you to do the same. To say no to things is not an easy thing in our culture. It's hard. Because I want to get things done. And, I, and you know, for most of us, it's not that we're saying no to this is a good thing and I want to say no to this bad thing. Sometimes it's, I'm, there are two really good things, three good things, four, five good things in front of me, but I can only say one, yes to one of them. The culture wants me to say yes to all five. And suddenly I'm stressed and I'm freaking out and I'm overburdened. And I think it has to start with me saying no to this broken part of me that wants, wants people to be happy, that wants me to please people. And maybe you don't have that part of you, but I have it. And I don't like it because it gets me in trouble all the time. Too many unneeded yeses. And every time I feel like I'm in stressed out in some mode like that, it's because I've just said yes to too many things that I should have said no to because I wanted you to be happy because I wanted to please you. And interestingly, not because I want you to be happy, because I want me to be happy. And it makes me happy to think that you might be happy. How shallow is that? <laughs> And I can call it brokenness all day long, but really what it is is sin, and I need to repent of it. And repent just simply means I just need to change my mind and think about it a different way. Because if you see somebody who has a busy calendar, a busy schedule, I, you show me a busy person, I'll show you a broken person. Because that broken part of them is what gets them into that trouble to begin with. And so for me, what that means is it's not my schedule that's out of order or disordered, it's my heart that's out of order. It's not my schedule that's out of control, it's my heart that's out of control. And the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, to bring that control back in again. The word priority, first priority, by the way, name of Benny's ministry, I just realized that, was introduced to the English language in 1400. And what it meant was, means then or meant then was, what is the next most important thing on your list? Like, what is the, the priority? So we've got this done. What is the next thing that is most important that we got to get done? And for 500 years, it was a singular word. It wasn't plural. It wasn't until the 1900s that we tried to bend truth to fit semantics. With no sense of irony, you can sit, and maybe you have. I was in the music business. I've sat in plenty of these meetings. we got 10 priorities with no sense of irony. If there's 10 priorities, then none of them are a priority. And saying no to pleasing people means me starting back, and what is a priority for my life? What is a priority for me in my heart? What is that priority? And it has to start there. Before I start, what I, what I even know to say yes or no to, I have to know what's important in my life. I heard Bob Goff say this, and I think it's really, uh, just was blown away by this statement, and he made a he said that for him, he realized that at the end of your life, you're surrounded by hundreds of people. My kids hate going to the store with me. 
because we run into somebody that I know in every aisle. And it's not because I'm whatever. I just, I've been around long enough in this world that I know some people. So we went to Kroger Friday night and, you know, I'm running into people everywhere. And, and what I had to think back on when Bob Goff said this was at the end of your life, you don't have room for hundreds of people in your room. If you are somebody who's in a, in a hospice situation or you're in your hospital room dying, the room itself only has room for about eight people. And a great way to prioritize your life and to, is to sit back and think, who are the eight people that I want in that room? And then how much time am I giving to them versus to them? Really convicted me. I got four beautiful children. I was able to sit in the hospital room with my mama when she passed away six years ago. It was just her four boys, my daddy. And as she breathed their last breath, it was a real, obviously, emotional time. But what I remember was, this was her team. Here we are. The way that it was, the way it started is the way that it ends. And for me, saying no to some other things, what I'm really saying is yes to my children. And it might mean saying no to what has been termed as technoference. It's a new phrase that's been coined, but all it is is this thing, this great blessing and cursing. You know what I don't want my kids' memory to be of me? This. Hang on, kids, I, I, gotta, I gotta respond to this. This is my, I'm, I gotta respond to that. I don't want that to be their memory of me. I don't want that to be the normal for me. And technoference does that to me. And look, you might think, oh, I got it handled, but let me ask you this. If you're a smoker, and you don't have to raise your hand or whatever, but you know what I'm talking about. If you're a smoker, what's the first thing you do when you roll over in bed? You burn down a Marlboro right there. You just pound one because it's been all night and I got to smoke. And we can say, ah, oh, I got you. You guys are addicted. What's the first thing you looked at this morning when you rolled over in bed? I should have worn boots today. That hurt. look, I don't mean this in guilt or shame at all. I'm just trying to identify the problem in my life and if, if the shoe fits. But we don't walk out of here in guilt and shame. What we walk out of is saying, okay, I need some fruit of the Spirit in this part of my life. I need to say no to pleasing people and I need to say no to try to perform for you, for anybody around me. I'm not trying to put on this performance. I'm not trying to please. What I'm really trying to do is go back and say, what is a first priority in my life? And we're going to talk next week about what it means to say yes to things and how we can filter what we say yes to. But this week, what I would ask you to do is to begin to ask in your own heart, where are some things that I could start saying no to? If you remember, uh, Carrie was part of that. I'm not sure who else was in here that was part of loading that trailer every week at Conduit when we were a mobile assault ministry unit. The trailer over here at the side, that's what it's called, MAMU, the mobile assault ministry unit. And it is in retirement now, but then it was like, it was a trailer and we had to fill it up every week and take it back every week. And about every six months, we would have this thing where I would say, we need to purge the trailer because what happens is, hey, the children's department needed an extra thing and the hospitality department needed this extra thing and the worship team needed this extra thing. And before long, we had the trailer, well, like an episode of church hoarders, right? And... So to keep from having like rats and stuff in there and getting on the TV, we thought every few months or so we would have a purge Sunday. And the purge Sunday was just saying, hey, look, what are the things that were important six months ago that aren't important today? And every time we'd have the question, I'd like every department, hospitality, children, youth, whatever, whatever, every department, I want you to find something that you're not using anymore 
and leave it in the middle. And every time we did it, oh gosh, we need everything. We got to have it. We, everything's important. Amazingly, every time we did that, there was a huge pile in the middle of the floor of stuff that we could get rid of because what once was important isn't important now. And maybe that's a place to start now to think, what are some things that were really important to me last year that I just keep doing, but maybe they're not as important right now? What are some things maybe, maybe, maybe instead of binge watching that Netflix thing, take some self-control, sow some seeds there, and only watch a couple episodes this week. I'm just floating it out there. You're like, Darren, that's easy for you to say House of Cards is coming out. I'm just saying... Just not every day. What if you took 10% of, what if you took 5% of your schedule this week and looked for areas that I could say no to that I wasn't saying yes to before? Maybe this week, instead of watching the whole Jimmy Fallon, you go to bed an hour earlier, give yourself that gift of rest, and just watch the highlights the next day. They're going to be out there anyway. The good parts will be out there. You don't even have to waste the hour. They're gonna, they'll share the good ones. The Lionel Richie thing will be all over the internet and you don't have to worry about it. It'll be out there. <laughs> Just maybe that's a place. And maybe it's I'm driving to work and I, I'm in a hurry and, I'm, and, and maybe it's I'm just today I'm going to back up a little bit in my heart and I'm not going to shoot the gap on the traffic on Highway 65, you know, where the construction happens and you, you're going to speed ahead and hope to Jesus that somebody is nice enough to let you in when you get down there and then you act like, well, I, I actually didn't realize the lane was ending. You know, and I'm, I'm from out of town, you know. I know it's just Williamson County, but I'm just, I just got here. Maybe this week you just back it up and say, you know what? I'm going to pull in here in that extra 15 minutes. I turn off Glenn Beck or whatever I'm listening to and just... I was driving this with my daughter last night. You'd have thought I was clawing her eyes out. What if it was just Silence. If it was just some you and God silence moment. Let the Spirit lead you in that. That's one thing I would ask for you to do. That's one thing I'll commit to you that I'm going to do. I'd also ask you to take some time this week and sow seeds of the word in this part of your life. In your prayer this week, pray some scriptures out loud. You know that he who dwells in Psalm 91 in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, just, you're praying that. What does that mean, Lord? I'm just meditating on that. Or Isaiah, he who waits upon the Lord, he will renew your strength. You'll mount up. Just as you're praying those things out loud, you're praying the word, you're praying the supernatural. And it's not in a race to try to get through this. Bethy and I, I were, I was talking about, she's read through the Bible a few times and it was, because one of the questions that we're going to talk about in our question series is, how does Leviticus matter? You know, I'm trying to figure that out and, you know what I would encourage you this week? Instead of trying to read this like a book, because it's not, this isn't the fountainhead, this isn't Atlas Shrugged, this is 66 different books, 66 letters and prophecies, and pray about and spend, you don't have to start at the beginning. Genesis is the most read book in the Bible, because how many of us have started in Genesis and we give up? Right? I know Genesis because I get to Leviticus and oh. By January, I'm done because I can't get through the one year again. And so congratulations to those that have been disciplined to do it. But this week, maybe 
instead of trying to put some burden of grief on me, of guilt, I'm just, I'm just going to engage in the scriptures that the Lord is using to speak to me today. Jesus somehow, the Savior of the world, okay, found time, let me rephrase that, made time to pull away from the crowds. And he's the Savior of the world, and you're trying to be. And when I put myself in the Savior seat, man, I got crap to do. I got stuff. And as we're praying through this year, I hope that our church is, you're sowing those seeds of peace in your heart, of rest, of backing up and doing what the Lord is asking you to do, not what you feel like you need to do, not taking the pressure of trying to get my kid in Little League by the time he's three because he's not going to get a scholarship, not trying to get your high school kids in every club imaginable so they could somehow get this thing because it's, I told my daughter, Maddie, uh, when she was trying to figure out what her major was, and she was genuinely freaking out about it. And I was like, man, you don't have to. And she's like, yeah, but dad, all these grown-ups keep asking me, what are you going to do? What are you going to major in? And I was like, you know what would be a good test for you, Maddie? Ask them, what did you major in? And what are you doing? My business partner for 10 years was uh, in the music business, was an English lit major. You know, poli sci. I mean, I, we just do these things. And I, what I'm saying is that these things that with this treadmill that we put ourselves on, I'm not even sure how much it matters. This week, say no to pleasing people. Say no to performance. Say yes to sowing some words of Jesus in your hearts. Say yes to shaving off a little bit of your calendar and beginning to make room. Because next week, we're going to talk about how do I know what to say yes to? How can I look at these, all these amazing things? It's a question that we're having at the mission. We're saying, David's in Uganda this week. I sent him with a book, and if you want a great book, it's called Essentialism. And the author is, oh, I can't believe it, McEwen, McCowan? Just Google Essentialism, and you'll find it. Because what we're saying is, hey, there's an, there's an entire world in need right now, but we weren't ever called to save the world. We weren't even called to fight poverty. We're just called to bring Jesus. So what is it that Jesus is asking us to do? If Jesus could live on this earth for 30 years, think about this, put this in your pipe and smoke it. For 30 years on the earth and didn't heal anyone. There must be something better. There must be something deeper there. He must have been trying to communicate something to us. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. But for this week, breathe. Purposefully breathe purposefully take those moments. For me, it's what it's become, and the guys at the office know this, it's really become about the first fruits of my morning. I've been not headed into the office and literally lighting my butt on fire and hoping to God that, you know, the bottle rocket goes. Okay, we're just, instead of that, I'm coming in and just, I'm gonna take some moment and breathe and pray and see what the Lord has. And I gotta tell you, it's the hardest thing I've done in a long time because I'm a little jumpy. Don't know if you've noticed. But I'll tell you this, it's been amazing. Like I've really, I feel better. My mind feels better. Pray about it. Maybe that's what the Lord would speak to you this week. And next week, how do you know? How do we know at the mission? What do we, what do, we do and what do we don't do? How do, do we, how do we choose if it's Uganda and Guatemala? And all? How do we know what we're supposed to choose? We'll, we'll, I'll explain what I feel like the Lord is saying to us and hopefully for you as well. Does that make sense?